On this week's Thoughts from the Shade, we'll take a look at the tragic events on Monday Night Football surrounding Buffalo Bills defensive back DeMar Hamlin. We'll take a look at a lesser debacle on Sunday at Lincoln Financial Field between the Eagles and the Saints. We'll take a look at the college football playoff, the national championship, and Penn State and the Rose Bowl. Here we go. Episode 76 of TFTS. Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. Uh, It's a sad end to the holiday season. Back to the grind, but hopefully everybody is rejuvenated and recharged. And uh, wherever you're listening, don't forget, leave us that five-star review, that five-star rating. Let us know what you think, what we can do better. Uh, That way we can keep bringing you the heat. Wanted to start this podcast tonight uh, and, and throw it over to Bomb uh, in, in honor of the Rose Bowl. Maybe he would throw some flowers in the direction of James Franklin uh, and Sean Clifford. Uh, but sadly, that's not the case. Uh, there's much bigger, uh, more important uh, happenings in the sporting world. Uh, shortly after the Rose Bowl, Monday night uh, in Cincinnati on Monday Night Football, In the first quarter, Buffalo Bills defensive back DeMar Hamlin uh, collapsed on the field. It was a a tough scene. The ambulance was brought out. He was taken to the hospital. Um, Don't really feel like I'm in a place to to comment on uh, his status. Um, Other than that, the last I've heard, it was was critical condition. Um, But before I throw it over to Bob, I guess I would just say, like, you know, we come on this podcast every week. Uh, we we rip into players, we rip into coaches and people, and I think it's it's in a in, in a joking light in a way, a less serious light. Uh, but but this issue here is uh, obviously very serious. It's it's somebody's life and, and something that no matter uh, how we feel about maybe on field performance at, at, at times and how frustrating it can be as a fan. Uh, Something like this outweighs that by by a million pounds, the, the weight of the world. So just just wanted to throw that out there, Bob. I know know you had some some thoughts uh, that you wanted to share on the situation. So I'll bring you in. Uh, good evening. What's going on? Yeah, not not a lot, G. Um, obviously, kind of a, a super bittersweet end end of the uh, the holiday season here, and um, yeah, pretty tragic story. Uh, I think there's a number of different things we need to unpack. Obviously, we can talk about. You know, the incident itself, talk a little bit about Hamlin, but also the league's response and what we know to date. So, um, you know, first, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, Hamlin's a, a PA kid, right? Everyone knows he went to Pitt, but he actually played high school football at Pittsburgh Central Catholic. Um, and uh, yeah, it hits a little close to home. I mean, the prep played Central Catholic in 2013, um, beat beat Hamlin and, and his team, you know, 35 to 10 for the nat for the uh, state championship. And then I think his senior year in 2015, um, they got the job done and, and, and won the, uh, won the chip. So, uh, yeah, obviously it doesn't matter where, where the guy's from or, or what team he plays for. I mean, you know, I think you'd agree, you know, even, even with a star on the side of the helmet, right? Like th- this stuff is so serious. 
Um, doesn't matter where you're from, you feel for the guy. But you know, even more so knowing he's a a PA kid, a, a big 33 kid, a a guy who uh, you know played in the PIAA. Agreed. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a, it's a tough thing to talk about. Obviously, uh, we, we stayed along and and watched the SPN coverage uh, as things unfolded, and it was tough. It was just tough. It was tough. It was awkward. Um, really tough position for those people in the media, the broadcasters, the the, the TV hosts. Tough position to be in. But uh, I guess I. I'm ready to transition just to kind of maybe the, the league's handling and, and some of their reaction uh, to this stuff. I, I know you posted up last night uh, about the NFL and how they handled uh, the events that transpired on Monday night. So, so just wanted to get your thoughts and discuss and that, and then maybe, maybe I'll rebut a hair. Uh, I'm, I'm curious just to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So, uh, Look, at the end of the day, what, what occurred is that this guy basically died on the field. Um, and the uh, the medical staff and the athletic trainers run out on the field. They immediately see that, that you know, there, there, there's no pulse. This this guy's not breathing. Um, and in fact, you know, this is, this is the difference between Bomb and some of the other podcasters. I reached out to a guy who was at the game. Um, and... Uh, former coworker of mine and um, asked him what was going on because on TV, they kept cutting to the commercial, right? Um, you know, it wasn't really until kind of the second or third time they came back from commercial where Buck said, you know, they were administering CPR, in which case I was like, wait, what? Like, what is going on? And this guy who was in the building said, you know, you could tell it was serious just based on the urgency with which the medical personnel were moving. Um, he, he did, in fact, see them run out the AED uh, I feel like that wasn't super clear on the broadcast. You know, they kept talking about CPR, but, you know, they really, I thought they could have done a better job talking about the protocols that are in place for this type of a situation. And maybe that's not on ESPN. Maybe they don't have that offhand, but, you know, it's great to hear that the league practices this type of a situation um, at least once a year in every stadium. So, uh, yeah, putting all that aside, right? Like not even talking about the medical management of, of Hamlin. The league's handling of last night, I thought was an absolute disgrace. And now there's there's a total narrative that's coming around, right? So so these guys on Buffalo basically saw their teammate die on the field. Uh, and, and he was given CPR for, for nine minutes. They shut the doors of the ambulance. It rolls out of the tunnel. And Joe Buck says, you know, the teams have been given five minutes to, to get loose. And, and prepare to resume play as if the biggest fear was like somebody blowing out a hamstring. It was one of the most stunning tone deaf situations I can ever remember G and it's magnified by the fact that there have never been more wins in a Monday night football game, uh, matchup, uh, since 97, I believe the, the date is, and the lead-in was directly from the Rose Bowl. I mean, they came into the game with 14, like, 45 left, right? So, literally, we didn't even see kickoff. It was a direct lead-in from the Rose Bowl after a holiday weekend. So, you have everybody who's a football fan watching this game. 
And this occurs early on in the game. Didn't occur after halftime, early on in the game. And to hear Joe Buck say they're giving the guys five minutes to get loose and, and, and resume play, I, I almost fell off the couch. I was shocked. So, yeah, I mean, you talk about the lead-in, the, the crowd, uh, the end of the holiday season. It's it, Everybody's hanging on to, to Monday Night Football. Granted, uh, I, I think most working folks were off were off Monday with the holiday falling on the Sunday. Uh, so, re- really tough spot for it uh but like the 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 whole five minute thing i I don't know if it was if if it was made clear after the fact uh obviously you saw the coaches get together they they went off the field the teams went off the field it seems like the coaches had to step in right but uh i just don't like i don't know if if people other than the the folks on the field like the people in the booth uh, the people responsible for like determining if the game should go on, like I I don't know if they knew this severity. Like yeah, there was an ambulance, um, but like does Joe Buck know that like this guy needed to be like resuscitated on the field? It, it's it's very hard to talk about because I don't I don't want to sound like an ass, but like I think it's it's one of those things where like maybe they didn't know the severity of, of the situation and they were and they just thought maybe it was an extended thing for an injury and that's why it was like the five minute assumption and then kind of the coaches and the players stepped in and were like no no like this is very very serious and this this game needs to end. So I think you're I think you're you're making the assumption that Joe Buck kind of just pulled out of thin air this five minute thing. Um they have John Parry, who was presumably a big, you know, higher up official in the league at, at one point in time. And reports today have come out that John Parry uh, was in discussion with the league office on what was what was about to occur. And that's where the five minute situation came from. And, and you can say, you know, it wasn't clear to the league office w- what was occurring, Um I can say it wasn't clear to me, the layperson sitting at home with a circle of players around them, around Hamlin, like you couldn't really see, like the cameras didn't get in there, and rightfully so, they shouldn't be in there showing that. But, like, you cannot tell me Roger Goodell, Troy Vincent, the rest of the league executives were not aware that life-saving care was provided on the field before that five-minute comment came about i thought i saw something today here tuesday that that vincent said there was never any any five minute instruction you know five five minute warm-up instruction to to get back into play i i I could be wrong i i'm just assuming that it's it's a post uh longer break for an injury protocol to give the guys five minutes and that was just kind of assumed by Mostly everybody that that didn't know the severity of the situation. No, so so that those comments, I can read you what Vincent said. Those comments came out at around twelve fifteen a.m. Okay, uh, so a full maybe what three and a half hours after after uh, Hamlin goes down. What he stated was, as medical care continued to proceed, the league thought it was appropriate f- for both clubs to return to the locker room to make sure everyone was okay. He said nothing else mattered except the well-being of the players. If you notice, I think they're saying, oh, we send everybody back to the locker room. I don't think that was his call. 
Like, like Joe Burrow was throwing a football after the ambulance left the field. And the way I saw it, I mean, just looking at body language and, 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 you know, humanity in general, I saw Zach Taylor walk three quarters of the way across the field, talk directly to Sean McDermott, and McDermott turned around and in LeVar Ball fashion pulled the kids off the court. They went to the locker room. At that point, I believe it became a union issue. I think the the Players Association basically told the league, these guys aren't playing. We don't care what the hell you say. It was very odd. You talk about Burrow throwing the ball. Stephon Diggs tried to tried to rally the troops, and you could just see the looks on the faces of these guys. Like there was there was no rallying. Uh, like for somebody that got carted off with a leg injury or something like that, it, you could just tell it was it was totally different. But so all the talk is is going to be about. Uh, I mean, obviously. The importance of the talk is about Hamlin, his health, uh, his potential recovery, and so forth. But, like, a lot was made on on Twitter, uh, on the Internet, about the ESPN coverage, uh, about the NFL, and the the whole the five-minute thing. Um, I, I, I just have a hard time, a hard time with it. Like, everybody wants to talk about how important it is about about Hamlin uh, and and his and his life but within 15 minutes of him being driven off in an ambulance it, it's a failure on the part of the NFL because it wasn't clear what was going to happen with the rest of the game that's that's the thing that I struggle with well I don't struggle with it at all I think both things can be true um because we've seen this, we haven't seen a guy collapse and die on a field in quite some time on the football field. I think it happened in the 70s um, with a Lions player. Obviously, it kind of you think about Hank Gathers and Loyola Marymount, but it, it was on the exact same field where Tua Tango-Vailoa is convulsing after a second concussion, and that was mishandled. You know, and the other thing I haven't heard from anybody yet is... It was on the exact same field that Ryan Shazier was paralyzed. So say what you want. You can call it coincidental. You can talk about all the things the league is doing and, oh, we can't talk about the league because, you know, Hamlin's health is of the utmost importance. It is. Believe me, it is. That's, that's, that's all I'm thinking about. But at the end of the day, the NFL does not have a great track record of keeping these guys healthy. The NFL does not have a great track record of putting these players and their safety and their health and their well-being first, as evidenced by the fact... Think about the discussion around turf versus natural grass. This is now three almost life-altering injuries or near-death experiences that have occurred on that playing surface in Cincinnati. And you can tell me it's a coincidence. I I don't believe it, Mike. I am honestly flabbergasted that that the league is not being ripped more here today as it relates to player safety. And the only reason it's not being ripped is because that football game was broadcasted on ESPN and the league gives them the rights to the Monday night football package. And there is not one person in the media who's going to talk about this. It's disgusting. The turf thing is, is, is interesting. It's, it's very odd that so many, 
huge injuries or tragedies, should I even say, have taken place on that field in that in that stadium. I think I'm just coming more from like a an area of like did the, did, did the NFL, did the stadium, uh, did they have the the, the people in place, uh, the, the the staff, the the independent medics, um, you know, the, the health staff to to get this guy the best treatment that he could get in the moment. Like I think I, I saw so, some doctors right on Twitter and, and again, uh, you can't trust everything you see and you read, but they, they said an NFL stadium might be one of the best places to have like a cardiac event in terms of like how quickly you can get treated outside of like a hospital. So like I, I, I got it that like everybody wants to jump on like the decision after the ambulance drove away, but if you're going to say that the most important thing was Hamlin and, and the treatment and, and his life, I think they did a pretty good job. And I, I'm no medical expert, but, uh, like, a lot of people were saying, like, as far as he's gotten just now, up, up to now, is, like, miraculous. So kill, kill yeah, the I, league for, for taking an hour to, to figure out that the game needed to be canceled. Um but I, I I just think it's I I think it's it's a moot a moot talking point for me. I don't think it is because I think it's a broader, it's a systemic issue with the NFL. I mean, you're playing games on Thursday nights, you're playing games on Monday nights, you got Sunday night. They're flexing games to Saturday. Um, you're playing the extra game, and um, and I think it felt to me. Maybe I'm wrong here. I'll tell you, uh, this is this is why I'm kind of ticked off at how this went down. It felt to me like they were waiting for something to happen. Like they were waiting for a call from the ER or the ICU to come in and say, everything's good, we can play football. Like they were waiting for a guy to wake up, and, and you see it all the time. A guy has a life-altering injury, and he, he gets hauled off the field. I mean, Josh Sweat on Sunday gives you the thumbs up. Oh, great. We all feel better about ourselves. Now let's get back to like bludgeoning people. Like that's what it felt to me. It felt like they waited an hour to give themselves an out. And when it was clear, no out was coming. They go to the video camera inside the tunnel. They bust out the Roger Goodell flip phone burner phone. And he talks to both coaches and they cancel the game, likely at the behest of the NFLPA. If you notice, a lot of these statements didn't come out until hours after. You also notice Goodell's statement today to the teams, very, very heavily, uh, I would say, influenced by lawyers. I mean, there this if this guy, God forbid, dies, and everybody's praying that he doesn't, if he, if he dies, every single thing related to what happened last night will be picked apart from the medical care to... Uh, you know, the route to the hospital, to the carry received at the hospital, to how the league views these types of injuries, to the types of preventative things they do. I mean, it. this is going to balloon. And I don't think the league realizes this. They're going to have a CBA coming up here in a few years. And I think uh, the owners would do well to understand, does Roger Goodell, based on what occurred last night, need to be fired? That That's how strongly I'm viewing what happened last night. I'm certainly no Roger... Roger Goodell guy, and, and I, I'm not trying to give him credit for how last night was handled. Um, 
I guess I guess I'm just not not ready to 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 dive in on all that like like you. Um and and I give you credit a little bit sharper uh brighter mind in that regard, but I just can't help but scroll through Twitter last night as everything's happening and everybody literally everybody said the same thing like they had him warming up for five minutes. They had him warming up for five minutes. Like, dude, like, how do you know how you would react in that situation? It's just why, like, Twitter and social media is, is such a tough place because everybody has an opinion and then, like, everybody kind of jumps on the same opinion and, and, and rides it. I, I just – I struggle with it because it's it's very easy to, to, to say – certain things about the situation from your, your couch as a guy who's, you know, wanted to watch the game and put off going to sleep and getting up for work the next day. Um, so just, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if you had anything else, um, before we move along. Yeah, but gee, here's the thing. Uh, the easy decision was to cancel it. The easy decision was to say, you know, once this hot, once this ambulance leaves the stadium in the vicinity of the stadium, what's this game's over? Um, but when does that ever? When does that ever happen? Pe- Go ahead. When does that ever happen? I mean, when is a guy laying on the field lifeless for nine minutes? But like, yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying the people that are are complaining with the the time it took to to come to the decision. Like, yeah, maybe it it should have been faster. But we don't know how how quickly the news traveled, the severity traveled. That's that's all I'm trying to say. Like, th- so the only other thing I could think of that's similar to this um, is uh, is NASCAR, right? So you have you have um, the Intimidator, right? Dale Earnhardt Sr. I believe he died on the last lap of the Daytona 500. Um, Three three car crash, dies. They make a ton of changes to safety in the car afterwards, but he died at the end of the race. Okay, and tragic, tragic. I don't know. I for, it's been years, so I don't. I don't recall whether they knew he was dead on arrival or they took him to the hospital or what have you. Right, but imagine that crash occurred in like the first ten laps, and the guy dies. And then they say, you know what, guys? Caution flag out. Let's keep fucking racing. That's basically what happened last night. Except the driver said, we're not getting back in our car today. That's a, that's, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. I, I just felt like everybody, everybody jumped on that in the moment. Nobody, we live in a world where we don't take any time to process any information and, and yes, you can look back and decisions could have been, could have been made better, but it just goes back to, for me, did that dude get the best care that he could have gotten to me? It sounded like it. Uh, and nothing else really matters in, in that moment last night. They, they didn't play the game. I get, I get the optics of having people warm up, but I just, I, I just don't think the full story was known by, all the necessary parties in the 15 to 20 minutes that, that went down. Yeah. But you're, you're discounting what occurred after they went to the locker room. Like what I want to understand who Roger Goodell was talking to and what was said 
when those teams were in the locker room? What was being discussed? We may never hear it, by the way. We may never find out any of this. Probably like, not. Like this is something that I would not I would not be shocked if they just buried. Like you saw the burner phone come out, didn't you? Oh yeah. It was it was the woman from the league office that was there, not Roger. It was, you know, the the woman that works for Roger, I think. I don't know her name. Yeah. I haven't seen a flip phone in ten years, but Goodell's got like seventy of them and they're all brand new. He might have just been waiting for the SIM card to get activated. That's what took so long. Dude, that's it's possible. It it, it is kind of kind of sketchy to see the the, the burners, but um, t- a t- tough thing to talk about. Honestly, uh, I don't have anything else other than mo- obviously most importantly, above all else, above all, all the debate, uh, the health, the uh, the safety, the recovery uh, of Hamlin. Uh, we're 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 thinking of that uh, first and foremost. Uh, above a- anything else uh, this week and and, and going forward. Um, so, on a lighter note, uh, t- tough tough to transition from that. But but Bob, you you did a great job uh, capturing some footage Sunday down at the link. Eagles, uh, tough one, fall flat on their face, twenty to ten at home, and and, and kind of a gotta have a game with with Garner Minshew at the helm. They take the L, uh, just look totally unprepared uh, in, in all phases and really probably the, the worst performance of the year. Uh, didn't pick up a first down until right before halftime and maybe one of the worst pick sixes we've seen delivered uh, by an Eagles quarterback in, in quite some time. Just an abysmal performance all around and now we're, we're to a point where uh, I, I don't know the status of Jalen Hurts, but even if he's not 100%, I feel like we're in a position, despite how we talked about it last week, where, where he's going to have to go on Sunday and secure secure this number one seed. You're assuming there's going to be an NFL game on Sunday. Well, that, that too. Yeah, I don't... I, see, I, I don't need to get into that, though. Like, I mean... I don't. I, I again. I, I don't know what to say. This is some unprecedented shit, man. That's that's all I can say. Well, let's let's focus on what occurred here this past Sunday. On this very podcast last week, I declared that this was a must-win game against New Orleans. I also stated that I don't want to get out of the stadium, but it is basically my civic duty to do so. I talked about the fact that Darius Slay was throwing his teammates under the bus. And all I can do as a fan of the Eagles is to show up and be the guy and and cheer this team on, etc. I thought about that heading into the week. Spoke with my, my uh, uh, counterpart, Party Marty, uh, who's got the other ticket. And we decided not only are we going to go and cheer, not only are we going to show up early and give it our all, we're going to tailgate. We're going to host a tailgate. Party Marty gets the VIP pass in the K-Lot up in the red zone. I brought the truck down. We got a big tailgate. We got the tomato pies going. We got the beers flowing. We, we're feeling good. It's about 60 degrees. It's nice and sunny. It's a great day. And I'm down there, and I'm prepared to battle. I'm prepared to bring a victory home for this team. And what I saw, G, out of our fan base was one of the most disgusting you know, you want to talk about coaching, you want to talk about the players, that's all fine. I want to talk about what I can control. Showing up, b- 
being loud, getting on the opponent, supporting the squad. Our fan base is a fucking joke, okay? Everybody's cheering the Eagles drumline. I don't even call them the Eagles drumline anymore. It's the Eagles bumline. Those bums can't read a sheet of music. All they do is just tap on their snares and their freaking cymbals. It's fucking pathetic. And I got a lot of people to call out here today. The mummers. The guys from South Philly. The guys from Northeast Philly. They weren't there. They weren't at the game. It it was a preseason game, G. We talked about the fact that the teeny boppers and the crop toppers, they're there in September and October. But the real men, the bourbon boys, come out in January for, for playoff football. Gee, it was an August preseason game down there when I was tailgating. I said it before the game. I said, this is not good. What do you think? Everybody was doing mummers? Everyone who is a fan was doing mummers. Like, the Philly trash who go down there and cause a ruckus for the other team were all, they still had their face painted, but they were dressed up in a skirt that day. Oh, my God. I'm surprised because... I think we talked last week about you you having to go down. You didn't want to go down, but you were going to do the job. And I, I thought Philadelphia was going to do the job, but I guess I discounted the January 1 holiday. And maybe you got to question the priorities of, of, of this city. You've got a team that's 13-2 and two on the cusp of, of clinching a number one seed and the path to the Super Bowl running through South Broad Street. And you get a weak turnout in a in a clincher because of the Mummers parade. It's disgusting. Everybody wanted to be on Two Street. I mean, I even said it before the game. I said, "Why don't they do the Mummers parade right down Broad Street? Bring them down Patterson, right up to the stadium. They end here. They go in. Look, why why is it somewhere else? Like when the game is like when there's a game on the same day as New Year's Day, why don't we just do the Mummers like down here?" Um, that, yeah, we can't do that. Should have made that I go exception. In, it's family day. Huh? Should have made that exception for New Year's Day for the Eagles, man. I go in, it's family day. You know, a little Johnny, eight years old, he's coming to his first game. We got a fucking clinch against the Saints. And we're getting Johnny his first thing. Uh, so, I got a funny story here, here for you. It's going to sound a little tone deaf in light of everything that's going on with Hamlin, but I have to tell the story. I was fired up to tell this story. So we got we, we were fortunate enough to get, you know, a different seat here for Sunday. We, you know, I guess maybe some of this is on me. I wasn't in Section 244. I was, you know, Party Marty came through with some different seats on Sunday, club level, some would say. So you go up through the club level, you know, you go in, you got the concessions inside. It's, it's really nice. It's air conditioned. It's heated, whatever you want to. It's all... You know, you're not out on like the mezzanine, you know, with the winds and the blustering, but it was a beautiful day. So you go in through the club level and then you go outside to your seats. So we're on the Saints sideline at about the 10 yard line. I mean, that interception was right in front of me and uh, we're going into the half and I I walk out of the uh, out of the out of the seats, out of the stands and go back into the club level. And I'm I'm getting ready to head into the bathroom near near halftime. And, uh, you know, they, it's almost like, uh, like a happy hour for, uh, or I should say cocktail hour for a fucking wedding G, you know, uh, you might as well have had a, had a, had a guy on a keyboard playing subtle jazz music in the club level. 
uh, everybody was standing at their stand. You know, they have the standing tables and enjoying a nice beverage and talking quietly amongst themselves and uh, filming TikToks and Snapchats. And I walked, the doors swing open to the club level after that first half. And your boy Bomb looks around at these people, hundreds of them, standing there like it's a fucking cocktail hour at a wedding. And gee, I went off on all of them. I mean, it was like a library. There was nobody talking. They're all TikToking and, oh, yeah, what a great day. It's a happy new year. Happy, happy. I went off. I said, all you people need to wake the fuck up today. <laughs> I go into the bathroom. There's lines. I say, you guys are a disgrace. No energy out of anyone in this fucking bathroom. <laughs> and this guy says to me, buddy, what do you want me to do? Play tight end? <laughs> That's pretty good. And that. So, I mean, maybe I'm crazy. You know, maybe we were all going going hard in 244. All I know is club level ain't for me. These guys are not ride or die. They're not there to cause a ruckus. It was a disgrace. I was going to say, and that was the last time Bomb ever did club level. At the link. So I get done in the bathroom. I, I start walking downstairs to the uh, Miller Light tent. And we're walking down the ramp. And, and it looks like a line to fucking Disney World. Chickies and Pete's. Get your crab fries here. And I, and, and I had to rip those people. I mean, I, I'm walking down the ramp with a guy. And I said, look at this. I literally turned to a guy who's about our age. I said, pal, look at this bullshit down here. And he goes, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? I go, there's about a minute left in the first half. And all these motherfuckers are down here, not, not to watch a game. They're down here to get in line for the crab fries. I mean, you, you want to do this shit? Go do it at 10 o'clock at the actual restaurant down the street. Not in the middle of a clincher. I mean, it was disgusting, G. I don't know that I could have stomached any crab fries after watching that first half on Sunday, but <laughs> that's true too. That's it, true too. The, the 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 team you gotta you gotta put a little bit of the onus on the team because that was not that was not a watchable first half product. It wasn't a watchable four quarter product, but uh, I might have taken an early halftime myself watch watching that slop. You could tell by the size of the line, these people left their seats with like 10 minutes left in the second quarter. And um, yeah, you could put it on the team. You could put it on the coaching staff. At the end of the day, every asshole that walked through the gates, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're part of the training staff, whether you're a fan, just thought they could show up, have a good time, and go home as the number one seed. And to me, that's a fucking disgrace. It's a fair point. Good point. And now, now we're in a position where... Whether the game is played Sunday or not against the Giants, uh, we we don't have the luxury of of resting and getting healthy and, and all that because we couldn't close out Dallas and we couldn't beat a, a pretty horrific Saints team whose defense is is in the bottom third of the league against the run and we have a backup quarterback in and we decide that it's uh we're we're gonna try to air it out. Uh, especially with Lane Johnson out. He's our best pass blocker, best uh, QB protector. He's out, uh, bottom third defense. Let, let, let's try to air it out. Um, 
and and you let Andy Dalton carve you up early. Uh, just it ain't good, man. It ain't good. Josh Sweat. You, you talked. To, you mentioned him earlier. He goes out. Uh, you know, one, one of our our studs on defense. It's just. I mean, it's it's not a it's not it's not a Murray and Kingsbury level of of uh, last undefeated team collapse just yet, but it's close. And there's nothing good to say, man. There's nothing there's nothing good to say. The injuries are piling up. Uh, the the team, you, you know, you talked about Slay throwing Scott under the bus last week, and then this week you have the whole AJ Brown and, and Minshew fiasco and. and they're trying to AJ Brown's trying to clear that up in the in the post game and on Twitter. It's bad vibes. It, it it really is, and it's a shame because there there were such good vibes, and you, you don't want to see it when shit hits the fan that that fingers start getting pointed and stuff like that, and, and guys are are taking lumps and getting carted off the field and missing time. It's we can still get, we can still get the one seed should the season proceed and. We'll have, we'll have a week to, to rest and hopefully re- reset the mojo. But uh, I, I know the NFC is kind of wide open, but I'm I'm not feeling it right now. Yeah, and you know what I don't want to hear from the pundits and the radio hosts and the uh, and the social media people. Number one, how many pro bowlers we have, and number two, the fact that we're the uh, we're the, we're the first team in NFL history, four guys with ten sacks. This defense is cheeks. Come on, man. It is cheeks. Imagine if we didn't have four guys with 10 sacks because we only bring four guys. <laughs> but it's it's hard to get carved up when you got four guys with 10 sacks and we bring four every time. Like, how is that possible? Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. I think uh, I think a listener sent us uh, a quote and I, I got to. I gotta pull it up because I, I want to give give the fella credit, but I think you'll you you enjoyed it, uh, and, and I think this guy's a little bit of a, a hot take artist. I've seen some other quotes from him that that rubbed me the wrong way, but Dan Cilio of Jakib Sports. If this football team had the 2017 coaching staff, they'd be undefeated. I think I think think I'd have to agree. Hard <laughs> hard agree. <laughs> By the way, I'm dri- I'm driving home from the game, right? And I'm sitting in about two, two and a half hours of traffic because I got to drop Party Marty off, you know, but it's tough getting out of the lot because that's why I don't, that's why I typically only do the tailgate once a year because it's a whole thing when you're driving down there. And no lie, the first call that I hear is a guy saying the Eagles need to hire Frank Reich back as their offensive coordinator. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Why can't these people drive off the side of the road? Why can't these people call the spot in the shade line at 215-385-5164 because that's that's your bread and butter, man. You could you could set that guy straight in no time. <laughs> Absolutely. But it, there is something to be said about this staff. Uh I think the talent has has kind of covered up some some shortcomings with Sirianni and co. Uh you know, so we've we've talked about how great the roster is that that Roseman's put together, but the pieces kind of start to to fall. You you lose a guy here, you lose a guy there, and and more of the onus falls on the coaching staff. And what the product we've seen on the field for the last about month now, 
And some of the decisions we've seen, they're not good. So we'll see on Sunday. We'll see on Sunday. And I I don't know if if you want to predict, make a wild prediction about the NFL and the schedule going forward, but, uh, I mean, that's all I got on the birds. Yeah, I don't want to predict anything because it – you know, there's a whole host of things that can happen. And I think most of it's related to, you know, the outcomes associated with DeMar Hamlin. And I think the good news is to your point earlier, received good care and he's 24 years old. He's physically fit and just got to hope and pray the guy pulls through because if, if it gets to a point where, uh, where the other, other games, the, the you know, non Buffalo, non Cincinnati games are being, modified in mass then that's a really bad situation that likely occurred so I, you know it's something to kind of think about I, I don't know what the league is gonna do but i would hope that by thursday maybe we'll have a little more line of sight into how how hamlin's doing hopefully for for the for the better well said well said um don't forget you can follow us on Instagram at Thoughts from the Shade and on Twitter at TFTSPod. And, and, and don't forget to, to share this podcast with somebody that you think might like it. Let's transition. Uh, well, before we transition, Eagles minus 14 hosting the Giants Sunday should the game take place. Uh, I don't know about the the, sp- the spread, but you got to think they get it done. The Giants with the clinch, they're they're locked in as the the sixth seed in the NFC, so they might look to to, to rest some guys. So let's get the clinch. Did they say they're resting guys? I don't think they said that they are, but that that line makes me believe that they are. Yeah, I, I mean, clearly, I mean, look, Vegas is Vegas because they have inside info on everything, and that's why the lines are always accurate. But at the end of the day, the Giants are a franchise that strike me as. Like, they love the history of, like, not sitting guys in that undefeated Patriots season because they felt like, you know, losing that game down the wire is what gave them the motivation and the confidence to win the Super Bowl. So, I I don't know. It kind of strikes me as a little odd. Like, wouldn't they want to knock the Eagles down a peg after what the Eagles did to them a few years ago with, you know, with Peterson on on Monday Night Football where, you know, they kind of tanked? and uh, tanked against the Redskins, it seems like at Howie's behest, and, you know, cost the Giants some some draft capital and leverage. So, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, obviously Vegas knows all, but to me, I'd be a little surprised if the New York Giants are resting guys in mass. I think Dable said after that they clinched on Sunday that, that he wasn't going to rest anybody, but, but again, you go back to the line. Unless the Eagles with, with with a healthy Jalen Hurts, unless he's doing real well, unless and, and given the spot, maybe Vegas feels away. Even if the Giants play the guys, that the Eagles can crank it up and and get right. But we'll see what happens. Uh, let's change gears. College football. We had the college football playoff on New Year's Eve, Saturday afternoon and evening, and the TCU Horned Frogs are moving on to the national championship after a 51-45 win over the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, I believe we both gave out TCU and the points on the podcast last week. But, uh, I mean, I was able to catch 
the first half uh, and, and then some tidbits here and there th- throughout the rest of the game. But, I mean, the biggest takeaway for me was kind of how scared Michigan looked coming out in that game. They come out, they they, they try Philly special uh, down in the red zone early uh, after they just hit the first play of the game for like a 70-yard run. Um, just so, some of the coaching decisions and the calls, it led me to believe that, that Michigan was a little bit scared. And, and on the other side, like TCU, I mean, they, they just did what, what they do all year. They they put their hand in the ground. They they, they hit you. Uh, they, they play hard. Uh, so th- those were kind of my high-level takeaways. I was really um, taken back by the play of J.J. McCarthy. I mean, two pick sixes after – the media day where he talked about bringing the Big Ten to the Big Twelve and and Smash Mouth football. Well, sorry JJ, but you 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 guys didn't do Smash Mouth football, and then it was on you, and and you blew ass. So tough to see um, for Michigan, but but great to see for TCU, man. I don't think anybody really gave them much of a shot, and I don't think anybody's going to give them much of a shot uh, six, six evenings from tonight in, in the Natty against Georgia. Um, but any takeaways for you, Bob? Yeah, my biggest takeaway here is uh, I want to take, you know, I'll give you my thoughts on the game, give you my thoughts on the team, but I want to take a step back here, G. You know, um, I'll just say it, you're a fraud. Um, you know, I don't want to kill you, but I have to kill you. Let's hear this You one. know, you just go right into the TCU Michigan game and then you're, you think you're going to transition into the Ohio State uh, Georgia game. We need to talk about the college football playoff. This was the most exciting. I don't want to say best played football games. The, this was the most exciting day of college football I have ever witnessed. Some of the most exciting football I've ever seen in my entire life. Points over. Underdogs winning. Uh, national champion coming back on a last second field goal at the stroke of midnight. And where's my man G? I know, dude. I know. It's <laughs> we had two weddings over New Year's. Um, <laughs> one for a loyal listener who's currently in Aruba, you know. So, so we're gonna be hitting that international listenership this week. I, I, I'm confident. But yeah, we had had one Friday and uh, had the rally for one on Saturday. It was a tough rally. New Year's Eve wedding. It started late, so I did get to catch the the first half of, of the early game. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's tough because I was even talking to my brother, and he's like, you know, New Year's Eve weddings aren't, aren't so bad. And I think I talked about it with Juice and maybe with you a little bit last week. And last year wouldn't have been so bad because Georgia blew out Michigan and, and Alabama handled Cincinnati. So it would, wouldn't have been the worst thing. But you said it. I mean, this year, two overs, two shootouts, two back and forths, just complete entertainment. And um, I'm sucking down everything under the sun uh, to get back to balance and, and forget how horrible I feel from from the first wedding on Friday, uh, trying to get myself right. But I, I will say, I will say, um, a lot of credit to be given. Maybe this is a venue I need to look into for myself uh, in wedding planning. But there was a TV at the cocktail hour uh, at, at at this wedding Saturday night and. We, we saw the end of, of Michigan TCU. And then uh, I believe Georgia kicked the ball off in the late game. And C.J. Stroud was trotting onto the field. 
and the TV went off, and it was time to go. Time to go into the to the ballroom. So, I went. I went. Guys, to, don't don't let G fool you, man. He's gonna give you that that stuff at the end of the Michigan TCU game. But you know, Mister Big Ten, Mister College Football, Mister State College. At the end of the day, push comes to shove. Noah Ruggles is lining up for a fifty-yard field goal. The ball is in the air, and I pay to my man G. And he's mid smooch smooch. He's counting it down from ten. You know, I got. I almost. I feel bad doing it, but I feel like I have to do my duty, and maybe mash together the kick side by side with the G midnight smooch. I mean, look, we've all been there. You got to do what you got to do for the significant other. But holy shit, one of the and and it. Oh, I mean, it only happened because the kick occurred literally at midnight. One of the most unintentionally funny things ever is watching this kick and then seeing the video of you doing the midnight countdown as Ohio State's lining up for a game-winning field goal. I, I was counting down Ohio State season. Hey, man, you, you could do That's what you good. want. That's good. I'll give you credit. You I, you were MIA for conference championship weekend, and we, 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 we brushed that under the rug, so... Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, you want an expanded <laughs> playoff. We can't even get you to watch top four. You want 12 now? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, no, but, it was... uh, no I, I had I had to uh, had to rag on you a little bit. But yeah, TCU, Michigan. Look, end of the day, Harbaugh shit down his leg. This kid McCarthy's a fraud. They threw Cade McNamara under the bus as if he was the reason why they lost last year. They show little TikTok boy. He's got the TikTok hair. I don't even know if he's on TikTok, but he looks like a TikTok he guy. He does have the hair. And they show him doing namaste, and and he's meditating under the goalpost before he's about to get his teeth kicked in. He throws two pick sixes. The guy is a fraud. He fumbles an exchange down at the goal line with his fullback. I mean, and then for him to act like we'll be back, standing there at midfield watching TCU celebrate after they just bludgeoned you. TCU showed up for a fucking fist fight. And this kid, McCarthy, what did he do? He showed up with his girlfriend, his family. The cameras are showing back and forth. He's got the TikTok hair. He's doing namaste under the fucking goalpost. And you mean to tell me we'll be back? We're going to stand there at midfield? Pal, Harbaugh's gone. He's going to the NFL. You fucking suck. See you later. You you would think the lesson would be learned after you talk that talk days before the game and then TCU absolutely throttles you and, and out physicals you and ba- basically beats you at everything that, that you want to do. And then he, he still goes on about we'll be back. Uh, I feel like a lot was made about that long touchdown pass that was ruled not a touchdown and then Michigan fumbles. I mean, er- early in the game, there was so much that happened in that game. Uh, but just Michigan, again, the Philly special and then that, that that toss was ruled short, and they do a, a quick fullback dive where there's there's no, um, you know, transfer of the football, a, a, a bad handoff, like just very. They they didn't seem like, and I think it, it stemmed from the coach. Honestly, they they didn't seem confident. I I thought that maybe they they could hand, handle the business, uh, given that they were there last year, but th- they look kind of rattled uh, from from the play calling of the coach down to the performance of the players and. It showed throughout, but I, I, I got to defend myself one more time and say that 
after the cocktail hour, we went into the ballroom and it was, you know, the bartenders moved from, from the one bar to the next. So it's the same, same lady helping me out all night. And I said, I said, Hey, uh, what, what, what do you want to drink? I said, no, no, I need the TV. I need you to bring the TV in from, from the cocktail hour into the bar. So she, she got a kick out of that, but ultimately didn't, didn't work out. Um, but you gotta give, you gotta give TCU credit. Sonny Dykes, uh, Duggan. I mean, again, I don't think a lot of people gave them a chance and they, they just they'll, they'll play, they'll play anybody's game. They'll play anybody's game. And I feel like they kind of made Michigan not play their game because you knew Michigan was in trouble when they lost the lead early and that they, they can't just lean on that run game that they've leaned on all year. Yeah. Cr- crazy game. And, uh, gee, I gotta say, man, while you were, while you were fulfilling your duties associated with love, your boy bomb, he fell in love. He fell in love with a player. I mean, I don't quite know if it's Jordan Davis circa like September, October of last year, love, but it's close. You should have seen the game that this guy on TCU had number 98, 98. I kept the whole time. I said, who the fuck is 98? Who is this guy? First half. He had five tackles. He had three sacks and a forced fumble. He's so then I look up, I go, who the hell is this guy? He's around the ball every fucking play. Who is this guy? I look him up. He transferred from New Mexico. Okay. Not highly recruited. He was a safety in high school. He transfers to New Mexico, then tran or he goes to New Mexico, then transfers into TCU, puts on a ton of weight. He's six four, two seventy-five. Apparently he runs a four point five five forty. I have to have this guy. He's an athletic freak. Gee, he had four sacks in the game. He could have had 10. He could have had 10 sacks. That's how often this guy was in the backfield. I've never seen anything like it. I think he had five or six sacks all season. But this is a guy who shows up in the biggest moments and dominated the game. Like this guy showed up for a fist fight. He fucking dominated Michigan all night long. Handed them their ass. And I have to have him. Like, we always say it, Howie Roseman, all he has to do is turn the TV on on college football semifinal weekend. Like, literally, it's all you got to do. Just draft those guys. And this kid, 98, his name is is Dylan Horton. I have to have him. Hopefully, Howie's listening this year. Because you hit last year. So, let's 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 see if you can make it two, two for two uh, on Bob's uh, draft list, Bob's draft wish list. From TFTS. Anything else on the first semifinal game before we we get to the you you, you thought you thought game after you watched game one it couldn't get any crazier in game two, um, but apparently it did. Uh, you know, I, I I caught what I could in terms of highlights and, and and everything, but Georgia, the defending national champs, hang on for dear life, forty two to forty one in the Peach Bowl over Ohio State. Ohio State. Misses the 50, 50 yarder roughly uh, as time expires. As I'm as I'm giving a New Year's kiss and, and not watching, but I knew something was up, man. I know we I know we we took Georgia last week and the six, but that line plummeted all day. I think it got down to four and a half. Uh, just you you could feel something was up, 
And from from what I gathered, I feel like Ohio State kind of gave the game away and might have been the better team. So so curious to get your thoughts. But I I, I will say for, from some of the highlights I saw, and I think you you, you might have even said something to me when when we were texting uh, while I was out and not watching. But I I, was, I checked the box score and Stroud was lighting it up, and then I watched the highlights and I'm like, this guy really made some plays. So. I I'll say it. You don't have to say it if you don't want to. But like for the amount of shit that we gave C.J. Stroud, like the dude came to play and balled out on Saturday night. I I gotta say it. I mean, what what's come to play is come to play like pitch and catch seven on seven t-shirt and shorts like guys running wide open with no line because that's what he did. Like, congrats, you hit the you hit the wide open Marvin Harrison Jr. Against and then the, the num- minute the guy gets knocked out, who else do you want to do it against? It was the no- the number one team. Well, but what I'm saying is that's not him. That's not him. Like throwing balls into tight windows. That's not him. Like throwing guys open. That's not him. Like escaping the. Well, I mean, he ran around. I'll give him credit for that. But that's not him. Like buying time in the pocket. Like at the end of the day, when Harrison went out, the one thing I'll give Stroud credit for is he decided to use his legs. And then for whatever reason, like Ryan Day just like choked and he just like refused to continue to move the ball. I mean, I I guess, you know, it's easy to kill Stroud all year long. Like I killed the guy. Like I still think some NFL scout fell in love with the guy on Saturday night. And like they're going to look past every single thing that we see wrong with him based off of one performance against George on national TV. And they're going to be massively disappointed when the guy shows up to camp and stinks the joint up. But I'll give him credit. I mean, yeah, he he played well, but I, I don't think it was anything more than pitch and catch. I I thought I saw a number of of throws on the run, you know, in windows and over guys and and behind guys and and stuff like that in in the footage that I watched. So I I just wanted to put it out there. I still I still don't think that uh, you know I'd, I'd put the franchise behind the kid, but. Uh, Willing to use his legs. Maybe if he was more willing to use his legs throughout his career, he would have opened up even even more stuff for himself. Maybe in the in those Michigan games and whatnot. But uh, I, from from what I saw and gathered, it, it certainly looked like a heck of a performance. Until you know, it seemed like Ryan Day took the foot off the gas at the end. There was happy to to have his his great kicker. Uh, go out and attempt from fifty instead of maybe trying to get a little bit, little bit farther down the field. Um, I mean, you saw it all, so why, why don't you paint it for us? Yeah, I mean, I'll take you through the whole game. So Ohio State obviously jumps out to lead. Marvin Harrison Jr. dominant, dominant. That's Not a guy. Sure how he was allowed to leave the state of Pennsylvania. That that's a guy you could put the franchise like, behind, man. Like dominant. Like that guy is unbelievable. And he left the state of Pennsylvania. I, I was told, you know, with Mr. Rose Bowl that he was going to dominate the state. He can't even dominate one high school. But that's an aside. We'll talk about that later. So Harrison Jr., clear superstar, clear superstar, probably going to be a top five, top 10 pick. Stroud hitting wide open. They take the big lead. Stetson Bennett is the most bipolar quarterback I've ever seen in my life. He played a horrific first half. And then they're going down there. I think they were down, what? They were down 20, I think, something like that. Um, they have to settle for a field goal to cut it. I think it was like the 17 or something. 
I forget exactly what it was. Maybe, maybe from 17 to, uh, I forget, but they cut it. You know, it didn't really help them. And then they get the ball back. First of all, it was like 10 minutes left. And I'm sitting there thinking like, oh my God, like, I think they were down 13 is what it was. 10 minutes left. And I'm like, oh my God, like, is Ohio State going to give them the ball back with like six minutes? Then you got, that's if you get a stop. Then you got to get down the field. You got to score. You got to get the onside. You got to score. Gee, they went three and out in like 40 seconds. And then they line up for fourth down. And Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart, putting the smart in the surname, starts walking down the sideline in a slow walk, and he gets the official uh, attention of the official, and he pops him for a fucking timeout right before Ohio State pulls off the fake punt. And from that point forward, I mean, I told you this via text, it felt like Ryan Day wanted credit for being a gambler, wanted credit for the fake punt call, but then turtled. It's like it's like if Bill Belichick came flying down the sideline before the Philly special, you hike the ball, you score the touchdown, and then the officials say, no, 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 hang on, hang on. It doesn't count. He called timeout. And then you line up for a field goal, you kick it, and then the rest of the game, you just play it as close to the vest as you possibly can. That's what occurred. Ryan Day wanted credit for the fake without actually doing the fake. That's wild. That that's the one thing that I don't think was was covered kind of in the the 16 minute highlight I, I watched and and the the breakdown I tried to get from from some others that watched but yeah, I, people are going to kill Ryan Day. I mean, two straight losses to Michigan and, and turtling up at the, at the end of this game in a position to to take down the the defending national champs. Uh I mean, it might be a little outlandish with the high expectations in Columbus for the guy, but uh, it certainly seems to me for, from everything I've gathered on this game that he, he's he got to shoulder a lot of that blame in this situation. Yeah, I just don't understand. So you you convert the fake punt. Obviously, you, th- you think they're going to come out in some sort of a punt coverage and you get the look you want and you convert it and they call timeout, right? Because Kirby, I think they had two fake punts converted on earlier this year. So he clearly saw something, and the guys up top clearly saw something and told Kirby, dude, pop a timeout. They're going to fake this, or at least they could fake it. But, like, I don't understand. It's like fourth and one or fourth and half a yard, and you just converted the fake punt. Like, is that the only fake punt you have? Like, are you unwilling to go for it from, like, I think it was, like, their own 40? Because given the time and, given the time and where they were at in the game, I think they were up – yeah, they were up like 13 with like eight and a half minutes left. And it's like, all right, well, if they if they score a touchdown, now you're up six, gives you time to kind of go back down, score another one. Like, he just, he's like, oh, yeah, we, we fake punted, but they called a timeout. Like, let's punt. And then the next, literally the next sequence, G, I'm sitting there watching it with some folks. And I said, I, I don't see how Georgia moves the ball. Like, they, they, it's been so spotty. It's been sputtering offense all all game. The very next play. The Ohio State corner just eats shit, and he hits him on a 75-yard touchdown. And I turn, and I'm like, holy fuck, Georgia's about to win this game. That timeout changed the game. Some of the breaks in both of these semifinal games and sheer number of big plays, just momentum shifts. It's crazy, and it was – I mean, I I can't take credit 
for it, but it, it was a fabulous, uh, entertaining day, day of football. But, I mean, uh, I, I, it's, it's a, one of those things where, like, I hate Ohio State, and I'm not, I'm not a, I got a pull for my conference kind of guy either. Um, but I feel like it, with that game, and I, I, not not Michigan whatsoever, but that Ohio State game and the way they they kind of played, like part of me almost feels a little bit bad for them. I mean, I know they should, maybe they shouldn't have been there, shouldn't have lost as an eight point home favorite in the biggest game of the year, so on and so forth. But out of their control, they were there, played really well, came to play. I think a lot of us thought that they would get rolled. And they they probably should have won the game. So like I I can feel for them a little bit, but like I'm over it. Yeah, I don't feel for Michigan at all. I thought defensively they were horrific. Like they kept blitzing, like they just kept blitzing, and then and then it was a jailbreak for TCU if they could get the ball out of Dugan's hands. And you know, as for Ohio State, I guess you could say yeah, they probably deserve to win the game. The thing that's a little disappointing for Ohio State is your best player gets knocked out in the fourth quarter. Like, Harrison Jr. goes down with a concussion. And, like, you could tell the offense was quite a bit more stagnant, and that's where Stroud had to make some moves on the ground himself. Um, They were missing a couple running backs, too, I believe. So, yeah, I give Ohio State a lot of credit. I mean, they, they came to play. But at the end of the day, in the same way that Jim Harbaugh pulled the wrong strings, like they get down there, they have a chance to win the game. I think with like 30 seconds left. And they, it, all of a sudden it's like, they get stuffed in the backfield for a negative one yard loss. And they're just like, Oh yeah, we'll we'll kick a 50 yard field goal. Like there, there was no talk. Like we wouldn't do that with Jake Elliott. Like we would say, Hey, you know what? Let's get another 10 yards here. Let's see if we can get a guy on a little out. Let's maybe pop one over the dude. It's college pop one over the middle, a little post get down once you're past the sticks let's spike it and kick it but they 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 settled for a 50 yard field goal at the stroke of midnight something interesting i heard and i i can't remember where but like these college coaches i think struggle and and it really shows in like these these playoff games and and some of these tighter championship games or or primetime matchups because most of these games that these teams play that that get to these situations, they don't play in many close games. They're constantly blowing people 100%. out, so that so the coaches have no experience in managing these these crunch time situations. And I I think you saw two cases of that on Saturday. It's it's so it's so accurate. I was actually talking about it during the game with uh, with some folks. It's it's like uh, they. College staffs in particular, particularly the big ones, right? They have they have guys for everything. They got the, you know, the get back guy. You know, they got the strength guy. They got every guy known to man. Like, I don't think these coaches have like a clock only guy, but like a guy who's who's able to work with like the analytics guy and look at the clock and say, here's what we need to do in this situation. I'll give you an example. TCU is up at the end of the third quarter. And <clears throat> the, the situation ultimately didn't come to be, but Michigan scores with about three seconds left in the third quarter. And uh, I'm sitting there watching the game and I'm talking with folks and I go, you know, if they kick this ball anywhere near the goal line, even if he's five yards deep, he needs to take it out because it's going to get you to the end of the third 
and then you're 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 up two scores. So, so what that means is your first down play is going to come on the other ha- the other side of the quarter, which means that's a forty second swing basically, because that first down play, if you run it, gets you down to fourteen twenty. Whereas if he goes like this in the end zone and lets the ball go over his head, you're running a run on first down, and the quarter ends. So wouldn't you know it, right? Like Michigan did the right thing; they kicked it through the end zone. It didn't. Nothing happened. But the first down play, they run the ball. They fumble the fucking ball. And now here's Michigan down two scores, being gifted the ball with a fresh 15 minute on the clock. Like I just, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong here. I don't think these coaches like. When they talk about time situations and clock situations, they're thinking about timeouts. They're thinking about end of game. I'm thinking about maximizing the decisions, like end of the third quarter, three seconds left. We need to return this out of the end zone if it's even remotely returnable. You might be like the next NFL head coach because Nathaniel Hackett's clock guy, I believe he's the one that got promoted when Hackett got the axe, so... Did he really? <laughs> I, I, I think. I think. I'd have to I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure when Hackett got canned, the dude he brought in for like clock management is now the, the interim. But, yeah. but it's not shocking really that fans are better and especially fans our age are better at this than like coaches because number one, we watch I think we watch more games. They watch more tape. I watch more games. I watch more end of game situations. They watch a lot of tape. They watch a lot of schemes. I watch a lot of clock. And then secondly, we grew up in the Madden era. Shootouts all day long on the on the on the Xbox, on the PS2. So what do you gotta do? You gotta go for it. You gotta use the timeout on this side of the two-minute warning. Harbaugh was horrific too, clockwise. I mean, end of the game, he didn't use his timeouts. So it's just it's bizarre to me that these college coaches have a coach for everything. They get that guy, but they don't have a clock guy. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens Monday night. A few nights away, uh, Georgia and TCU at SoFi Stadium out in California. Uh, it says 8 p.m. You know that shit's not going to kick till uh, 8.45 and end <laughs> probably uh, 10 minutes to 1 a.m. here on the East Coast. But we'll look forward to it. I believe Georgia's sitting sitting around a 13-point favorite. Total sits around 62.5. We'll, we'll put something out on the Instagram for picks. We still got few days to go uh but but early um tcu man i mean it's it's a lot of points but would would tell you georgia but this tcu team man i've been saying all year they did it again they they just they just come to play they'll play anybody's game so i i don't think you can totally count them out on on monday night and and for for entertainment purposes you, you you hope they come to play if they if they play like they did against Michigan, I think they have a real chance. I mean, maybe I'll give them a 20-30% chance of winning the game. But that's a lot of points, especially I mean, Stetson Bennett, I mean, I tell you, he's bipolar, man. I mean, you don't know what you're getting from one quarter to the next. So, yeah, they caught a lot of breaks there with Ohio State, a guy falling over and day turtling, etc., but I like what I saw to TCU. It's just can, can they can they match up against a big old SEC team? And I don't see any reason why they can't, man. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm buying in. Maybe I'm I'm drinking drinking the uh, the juice, G. But I got that purple fever, dog. You don't have the TCU polo on tonight, but I bet you will Monday night. Uh, but now, yeah, I'll have it all. Now, 
I'm with you. Uh, they 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 haven't given me much reason to to believe they that they won't make it a game, and I don't think it's it's the same Georgia team as as last year with all the first round picks and whatnot. So we'll hope for a great game Monday night. We'll give out some picks, uh, our picks, uh, leading up to the Natty. Uh, don't forget, thoughts in the shade as always is brought to you by our great friends at Menard Premium Detailing, uh, the best auto detail service in. Bucks County, check them out at MenardPremiumDetailing.com uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, and you can reach them at one eight three three two Menard. Let's wrap this beast of an episode up. And uh, Bob, I, I think you think you have a few flowers or, or roses uh, to, to the men that are James Franklin and Sean Clifford after the thirty five twenty one Rose Bowl win on Monday afternoon out in Pasadena. Yeah, I owe, I owe a number of flowers and I owe a number of roses. And, I, you know, look, I'm not looking to make light of the situation here, but the fact of the matter is it's possible that Sean Clifford and James Franklin won, you know, the last football game ever, like before football changed forever. Like that's how much it changes when Sean Clifford wins a big game. First Rose Bowl title for Penn State since 95, right? Uh, Clifford there for 10 years goes out on a win. He's going to grift his way to the next big thing in NIL. Um, You know, CJF, he's got the hat. He's got the big S. He goes bald. He's got the big S. They're doing the roses at the end. At the end of the day, you got to give Penn State some credit. They came to play. You could tell they wanted to be there. Um. I think the game did change when rising went out. I don't think the result would have changed. I think Penn state was, was starting to kind of assert their will, so to speak defensively, but I thought rising could move a little bit. I thought he was obviously more experienced. I thought he looked okay. Um, you know, I, I, I think it would have been more of a game had he stayed in, but I think ultimately Penn state still wins the game. I guess the thing that's a little disappointing for me, G, when I watch Penn State play that game and 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 frankly dominate the Pac-12 champion in uh, on the West Coast is, uh, you know, they said it on the broadcast, first time in school history that they've had two plays, I think of like 80-plus yards in one game. And it's the first time, and it, you know, look, I mean, that you know, I guess I would have expected them to pop a couple of those against Akron every September, but... <laughs> It seems to me like they aired it out a little bit more yesterday, like they were willing to kind of be a little more aggressive. And 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 maybe Yersich said, you know what, let's send Sean out with an aggressive game plan. But, like, I'm sitting here wondering, like, where was that all year? Like, where was that O-line protection all year? Where were those route combinations all year? Like, why weren't they that aggressive all year? I think it's, I think it's a fair point. I really do. Um, and I... You know, I'm I'm thrilled at the win. Uh, I, I was excited for the game. It's it's the granddaddy of them all. Again, I said it last week. Outside of the playoff, it's the best bowl game. You you watch the Rose Bowl, no matter who plays every year. Uh, it's a great spectacle, great tradition. Um, one one of my friends texted me at halftime and says, like, yeah, it's a great tradition, great spectacle, and everything. But do we really need to see Tommy blowing on a tuba for 25 minutes at halftime? <laughs> I couldn't agree more. That's a great call out. <laughs> it was that, that that was pretty funny. Um, but no, great win. It, ca- it caps off uh, a, a year where I think my expectations were uh, 
exceeded. But I agree. I mean, I don't know if it's because it was Clifford's last game or if they had more time to prepare. Um, I don't know if that Utah defense is is maybe not as good as it, it looked in, in the Pac-12. Uh, I, I don't really know what the answer is, but I, I couldn't agree more, Bob. You watched the Penn State in these bi- the biggest games against the Michigans and the Ohio States, and the, the game plan typically looks pretty sheltered, pretty turtled. Uh, you don't see a lot of stuff over the middle. I mean, Clifford's threw some really nice balls uh, to the tight ends and the seams yesterday and to Tinsley on some slants. So, I mean, we we've given Clifford a lot of a lot of shit. Uh, he's played he's played poorly in some big games. Uh, he's had an up and down career, uh, but f- good for him to go out with that game. I thought he played a great game. There was some serious zip on his ball. He was tossing around with confidence, um, and they hit that double move. Uh, to go up twenty eight fourteen, and and that 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 was good to see for him because we haven't we haven't hit many of those like you, you talked about the two eighty plus yard plays, but no, I, I couldn't agree more in terms of the assessment of of kind of the game plan and opening it opening it up a little bit. So hopefully it's just a foreshadowing of of twenty twenty three and bringing in uh the prized car in the garage, the big gift, the five star uh, Drew Aller. Uh, to take the reins over next year, um, but yeah, you, you can't complain. Eleven and two, another New Year six uh, under the belt for JF. But uh, he's won the Rose, he's won the Fiesta, he's won the Cotton. So good on him. Uh, it's it's year ten or year eleven next year, whatever it's going to be. Uh, and I, I think, despite it being the last year of the the four team iteration of the college football playoff, I'll put it on the record now on January third, two thousand twenty two. Uh, the 2020 or 2023 happy new year uh the 2023 penn state football season uh is college football playoff or bust and and you can put that on the record right now just with the the guys they have coming back uh on both sides of the ball so uh exciting stuff again great year exceeding expectations and, and set set hopefully set you up for a springboard into 23. Now, will, will that happen? I don't know, but I'll be a lot more pissed, um, you know, at, at a 10 and two or a nine and three next year than I would have been this year, uh, given the, uh, the, the 20 and 21 season for the nits. So it's kind of it, uh, the, the, the cap, the S cap for JF kind of a tough look in the rain. I know he always needs a cap in the rain when he's, uh, you know, with his, with his bald head and you don't want to, get the rain on the glasses and everything. I think Portnoy called him out for the hat. I mean, of all, of all the gear that those guys get, that's the hat you're going with at the, at the Rose Bowl. Come on, man. That hat looked like it could fit your head. It looked like one of those big, like you see those big-ass hats? I think like <laughs> yeah. Jair Alexander was wearing one. The the mayo, the mayo tossed on them. Dude, I got to find out where we can get one of those, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get thoughts from the shade on there. And I'll wear, oh, I need one. I'll wear on it. you, it would probably look like a regular hat. It probably just look like a regular to scale hat. Yeah, I mean, if for, I mean, most people probably didn't see, but the uh, the the hat I wore for the New Year's countdown, like you know, the paper hats <laughs> they gave out at the wedding, I, I, that that I think looked like a yarmulke on me. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't. I don't have. I don't think I have much else on state. I mean, good. Good end of the year. Good to see Singleton bust one. That kid can fly. Uh, you know, makes you think back to seventeen and the run Barkley had. Um, so hopefully, hopefully more of that to come next year from from ten. Um, 
But, yeah, I mean, it hurts to not make the playoff. You know, that's obviously what you want to see as a fan of a program that you think is, is big time and has been big time at times and has been really small time at other times. So we got to do it next year. Got to do it next year. Um, and then it'll it'll be 12 teams after that, and then there's really minimal excuses for, for getting to a postseason and playing in some bigger games. I want to go on the record about Penn, Penn State right here and right now, G. Um, I've been accused of being a Penn State hater. I've been accused of being anti-Big Ten. Um, you might recall that my Notre Dame f- fandom was rekindled when they fired the alleged killer of a student, Brian Kelly. Um, we all know about the scissor lift before the Sun Bowl, etc. I am prepared now to root. I'm, a, I'm prepared to come back to Penn State <laughs> now that Clifford is gone. Now the grift is hopefully over. And I, I got to see what his LinkedIn says. If he gets a full-time job, then I'm fully back. You can't have him associated with the program in any way, doing any tip. And I, and I yell, you know, any YouTubes with the players. But for me, now that Clifford's gone, I'm going to root for Drew Aller. I'm going to root for Penn State. I do reserve the right to pull the, that rooting interest if they begin to flounder because then I will root against James Franklin, you see. So this is a very nuanced thing that I don't think our listeners pick up on. But I just want to let you know, in September and October, up until they get to Iowa, I'm all in. It fluctuates. It fluctuates. And, and it's fair. Like, I have to be a fan. I went there. It's, it's a family thing. It's all my boys and everything. Like, we we, we, we got to be fans. and But we'll give everybody shit when they deserve it. Uh, you know, the Franklins. But th- I, I think you got you got to give him some credit for, for getting the squad together this year. Give Clifford some credit. I mean, kind of lost us the Ohio State game. But good for good to see him go out on top for all the shit he's taken. And and you talked about rising going out of the Rose Bowl. Like, I, I did feel for that backup on Utah. I know he played last year a little bit. But totally tough spot. Um, I, I don't think it, it alters the outcome. Kind of echoing your sentiments. Uh, it looked like it was kind of the point in the game where, where Manny Diaz figured out what was going on and he was just bringing everybody. Uh, and and maybe rising, you know, with, with his legs would have made some plays and kept that game tight. But I think Penn State was kind of hitting their stride in the middle of that third quarter when he went out in just a tall order for the backup for Utah. But strong effort well, to now, close the season. Now that Diaz is done for the year, you think he can come down and be the D.C. for the Eagles until the – you know, the end of the playoffs, because like at least this guy can call a fucking blitz, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Gannon, bring it, drive down a book from State College, blitzing for dummies. Page one will be the first blitz Gannon's ever seen. <laughs> oh, that's great. Too good. Nah, good stuff, Bob. You, you, like like you say, you're, you're a taxpayer, man. So you're, you're, you're welcome. Your fandom is welcome, man. It's all good. Thanks, uh, bro. Any uh, anything to leave leave the people with? Any New Year's resolutions uh, before we wrap this thing up? Nah, I'm not really a resolution guy. I think it's kind of a BS a BS thing to be quite honest. Um, you know, if you could stick to one, great. That's not it's not kind of the guy I am. I am who I am. You know, I just try to be a little nicer every day. Um, 
But in terms of like hitting the gym, you know, six days a week or doing this diet or that diet, not my kind of thing. How about you? Uh, after the, the, the band there with the weddings, uh, draw January light, light on the events. I know we'll, we'll probably have Eagles playoffs, but, uh, gonna, gonna give my best effort at, at, at a dry January here. I know I'll probably get through one week of work and be itching for a cold one, but, uh, just, just a little reset, but I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I think if you lead a good lifestyle you live you live a happy life you treat people well you do the things you love there's there's no need for for a resolution but if if you got one if you, you want to make a change you you want to try to improve that that's great too but um one day at a time here man that's the life we're living you know we're process guys g not 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 the process we're not outcomes guys. We're process guys. You know what I mean? Yes. You know, it's all about the grind. It's not about the resolution. It's not about getting to the destination. It's not about the goal. It's about the process. It's about the journey. Exactly. You can't be going buying lottery tickets every day, expecting to hit the jackpot. You just got to grind. And then one day, <laughs> one day you'll, you'll open your eyes and the jackpot will be right in front of you. Obviously all the best to, to DeMar Hamlin and, uh, see what happens going forward with the nfl hopefully eagles can get back on track Uh, we hope everybody has a great start to 2023 we'll talk to you next week